came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Seven days till Christmas. But we got one great show for you today. We have General McInerney talking about hypermissiles. Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, one of the world's powers, and how is the world economy going? Mario Konomo on what's going on in Europe. Mark Shaw, the CIA released all those documents on JFK. Who really killed JFK? Larry Kudlow on the economy, Dr. Michalos on living longer. And let's start off the show with Governor Youngkin and what is it going to take to straighten out America? He is straightening out Virginia. Welcome to uh, WABC and, uh, and uh, seven days to Christmas. What say you? Well, first, Merry Christmas. It is a great time of year to remind ourselves of all of our blessings. And I love the fact that you still refer to me as the new governor. You know, I'm, I'm just getting ready to hit my one-year anniversary, and it feels like I've been doing this sometimes for one minute or maybe maybe longer than one year. Um, but it's been a, just a tremendous first year in office. We've gotten a ton done. Uh, we had a $4 billion tax cut package we got passed. We've invested in education. We stood up for parents and reestablished parents at the forefront of their kids' lives, and uh, we backed the blue, and I think got things moving appropriately for our law enforcement heroes. So it's been an extremely rewarding uh, first year, an encouraging first year as we've gotten Virginia moving. The way you run is people were really, really angry uh, at the uh, uh, woke movement shows, so to say, I mean, especially in Virginia, and uh, about education of their kids. You want to talk about the, where you, you were and where you are now and where we are now in Virginia? At the top of the list is that uh, previous administrations were pushing parents out of the lives of their children and trying to insert bureaucrats and politicians in place of parents. And on top of that, uh, they were systematically reducing expectations and standards. And all of a sudden, Virginia, which was historically known for having the best schools in the country, uh, was found itself at the bottom of the list for standards for our kids. And uh, Virginia parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles knew that uh, this, was, this was just fundamentally wrong. And so it's been an exciting year. We, we were able to pass bipartisan legislation that, that empowered parents to decide whether their kids wear a mask and, and to make sure that parents uh, have a choice if there's if there's explicit materials in the classroom they can get them replaced and and we've gone to work when it when it comes to the the uh, the the standard policies around parents making the most important decisions in their kids' lives. Kids deserve their parents. Parents have a right to make decisions for their children. And uh, this has been just a hallmark of our first year. I've been so pleased with the work, although we got a lot more to do. You know, we had, we had uh, uh, really poor test results that came in the national scorecard, the NAEP results. Virginia, uh, unfortunately, because of previous administration decisions, 
really suffered uh, mightily. Fourth grade and uh, math and reading tests were down the most in the whole country. Uh, and the lost, lost learning on top of bad decisions really has penalized kids. And so we have doubled down our efforts to raise expectations, to have the most innovative and stretching curriculum uh, in the country. And uh, this is at the top of our list to get done to make sure that Virginia kids are prepared not just to take the jobs of the future, but to fully live the lives that uh, they have been endowed to take. Now, uh, the governor of Virginia only serves four years. Now, uh, and, and uh, I mean, you could come back someday and run again, but what are your plans in the future? And well, let me start, John, with the fact that I have a clock in my office that counts down backwards from four years, and it counts down every day. And so we are laser-focused on delivering for Virginians. And, you know, Virginians, we don't have time to sit around and wait for, for uh, political bickering. And, uh, and so I com continually challenge our team, our legislator, and, uh, and oh, by the way, uh, all the folks that are delivering across the Commonwealth for state government to keep moving at a incredibly high pace. And this has got my full attention. One of the big lessons from the midterms was that uh, voters expect their leaders that they elect to deliver. They want them to have an idea of their of their vision, what they're going to accomplish, and they want it to get done. And we saw we saw Republican governors rewarded across the across the country for leading and delivering. And we also saw it's awfully hard to unseat an incumbent. And so I think this is our moment uh, to deliver. It's our moment to deliver results to make sure that we're going to work every day with our constituents' uh, needs in 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 the front of our minds. And that we can't take a moment off uh, when we when when we do, our voters are going to notice it. So I'm working every day to deliver, and I think that's what they hired me to do. There's going to be an election 2024, and, and we're going to decide which way our country is going. There's rumors around that you might be considered running for president. What say you? Well, those rumors aren't running around my house right now. What what is most uh, important in our in our focus is Virginia. And, you know, John, I'm, I'm always humbled when folks have been asking me this. Uh, you know, 40 years ago, I was washing dishes and taking out trash. And, and uh, two years ago, I was uh, stepping down for my dream job uh, to go serve Virginians. And uh, it's a remarkable honor and privilege when uh, someone mentions my name in this context. Uh, right now, we're very focused on delivering for the citizens of Virginia and to make sure that they get the kind of the kind of day-to-day -day public service that they elected me to do. And we're looking to deliver results. Understood. Well, Governor Glenn Youngkin, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year. And we hope to talk to you again soon in the new year and, and give us your vision of where we're going in the new year. Well, great. Thank you so much. And, and again, Merry Christmas and, and uh, Happy Holidays to, to you and all your listeners. We'll catch up with you in the new year. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, too. With us today is General Thomas McInerney, and uh, he was in charge of converting the, the old Army Air, For Air Corps into the modern United States Air Force, and he's a three-star general and, uh, and uh, one knowledgeable person and served uh, many of our presidents. Uh, good, uh, good morning, uh, Mr. McInerney, General McInerney. Uh, give us an update of... Uh, there was a lot of concern that China is moving at warp speed uh, towards uh, outrunning us in in the uh, in uh, war capability. Uh, give us your opinion. 
Well, that's specifically in the hypersonic missiles, John, and uh, they have moved ahead of us. And, and the reason hypersonic missiles are important, when you say that, it means the weapon, that when launched, gets up to Mach 5, five times the speed of sound. So and when you think of trying to use the current system to defend against it with the current sensors, uh, it is extremely difficult, if not impossible, under today's environment. And uh, we just had a successful launch off the B-52. It's a Lockheed Martin-developed system. They need three more successes in it. But it is extremely important that we get this because with hypersonic missiles, the Navy, the surface Navy, cannot get anywhere near Taiwan. The, uh, the Chinese will make that a, a dead zone for them. Remember, ships still are going at 20 knots uh, and uh, have a hypersonic missile coming in. Uh, they their their current warning system couldn't get the information to everybody and particularly to the defenses, the shooters, to defend it in time with their current system. So it is a revolutionary jump. And uh, that's why this test that was just completed uh, is so important. As I said, they need three more to go into production. But... Uh, it was very encouraging news. We have gotten behind on that, and I think that will be one of the determining factors of what President uh, uh, G does if he decides to, to go for Taiwan. Well, President Putin uh, the other day said that uh, there is no way that Russia is ever going to fire the first shot of a nuclear weapon. Uh, were you comforted in his reassurance of that? No, that could mean a lot of things. I, I, I don't think there are any targets that are worth a nuclear weapon there. And uh, having been heavily involved when I was the vice commander in chief of U.S. Air Forces Europe at the height of the Cold War, uh, and we had many aircraft on nuclear alert over there, theater nuclear forces, which I was intimately familiar with, of course. And you only use nuclear weapons when you're losing. That makes sense when you think about it. Go the ahead. other thing that President Putin has warned about is he's warned uh, the United States, uh, uh, don't send any Patriot missiles to the Ukraine. Well, it certainly escalates it, um, in which uh, one has to think, at great length about that, but it does improve the Ukrainians' air defense against these drones and these different assets that they're using over there. That uh, because you know Putin is fighting with the Ukraine like it's World War II. I lived in Germany right after World War II. My father was stationed over there. He was running the Mercedes and the BMW factories, and. I can tell you those cities were flat, just like you're seeing what's going on in the Ukraine right now. They were just destroying not military targets, civilian targets. We had a reason for that in World War II, but Putin does not have a reason for that. So uh, 
his his problems are is the capability of his military, and uh, it's it's an absolute travesty what he is doing. But the facts are, he is doing it, and that goes back to Ukraine is looking like those cities: Stuttgart, Frankfurt, Berlin, Munich. That I went into as a teenager, junior high in uh, 1949, and they were all still flat. The Marshall Plan hadn't come in. Uh, I am appalled about what he's doing. But then again, we don't have the leadership, in my opinion, that I believe that should be talking to Putin about it and getting a ceasefire. Uh, we're not, we don't have a leader like that right now. It never would have happened Trump was president. What do you want to, you know, it's Christmas, to, seven days to Christmas today, uh, 14 days to the new year. What do you want to tell all Americans? What should they be telling their senators and congresspeople? Do not pass an omnibus bill. That would be a travesty. We've spent far too much the Biden administration. That's why we have this out-of-bounds inflation. So do not do an omnibus bill and just carry it on through on a continuing resolution, John. That's what we've got to do. And the other thing I tell them, we need to start auditing our elections. Uh, General McInerney, thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to fight for our country and speak out for our country. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. And the same, John. Thank you very much. He's a self-made billionaire. Now he's on the radio. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. It's seven days till Christmas, uh, two weeks till the new year. Which way is our country going? Which way is the world going? Well, with us today is uh, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank America, one uh, of the two most powerful banks in, in uh, our country. And people say the way uh, Bank America goes and the way J.P. Morgan goes, so goes the country, so goes the world. Good morning, uh, Brian Moynihan. How are you today? I'm great, John. Uh, I'd say the way the country goes more dictates the way that uh, we in the banking system go, but uh, either way is fine with me. How are you doing? We are fine, and uh, we're looking forward to Christmas, and we're looking forward to the new year. And uh, everybody, I would say nine out of ten people I say uh, I talk to, and they say good riddance to 2022. We hope for a better 2023. Uh, what is your vision for 2023? Well, if you're talking about it uh, economically, our research team has the first uh, three quarters of uh, next year uh, negative growth, but it's a mild recession, and then we come out of it towards the end of next year. And that's due to the fact that the Fed has had to raise rates and slow down activity to basically get the economy back in balance after the pandemic and then all the fiscal stimulus and monetary and low rates and everything we've got to get the the inflation took off and now they got to get back in check and so our view is that we'll have a slight recession next year come out of it and then we'll be back to normal growth in uh, 23 and 24 being 24 a, and 25 yeah. gotcha. being yeah. a, a ceo of bank america you have an input into the fed system uh and you have a little bit of the pulse of what they're feeling this all started mostly when uh, the oil oil went from 55, 60, went up to 125 at the worst point, uh, and uh, that led to higher uh, uh, gas prices uh, at the pumps. It led to, to higher food prices because it takes diesel fuel uh, to run our factories and diesel fuel to deliver to uh, the stores around the country. Um, has the Fed 
factored in. There's a lag period between uh, the price of oil going up and where they see the CPI numbers and the PPI numbers. The measurement uh, they look at, uh, the Fed looks at, are, are the trailing uh, measurements of unemployment, of, of uh, CPI, the, you know, the consumer price index, and things like that, and you know, oil price and the impact on them. They look at forward expectations, and so they're they're always looking to say, does you know, do you, John, or me, tell the you know, say that we think inflation is going to be really high in the future. Therefore, it's going to start to change our behavior. They w- want to make sure inflation stays tethered, as they say, to a, a reasonable level. And if you look at the data, the inflation, uh, long-term inflation expectations by consumers and by businesses still is in the 3% range, which is in the range, uh, a range that's acceptable. It's just the short term, it's running, you know, 7%, 8%, and it's starting to tip over and come down. But that there's a lag effect to that, whether it's the way the housing works through that system or way that, as you said, the oil prices are now down. Our customers are spending 40% less of their payments on, oil, on, on at the gas station t- today than they were last year this t- time. Um, but that's because, at the peak level they were, it's over the last six months because oil prices have come back down. But that, that doesn't mean they're cheap. It's just they're come back down, and that provides a boost to them to spend on other things. Well, I've said uh, on television lately that uh, maybe the, the Fed should do a pause uh, because of that lag factor we, uh, we, we talked about, because if they're raising uh, rates every quarter, and they, they blinked a little bit, they only went up 50 basis points last week, uh, if people were paying 3 3.5% for mortgages, and now they're asked to pay 7 or 6 or 7 um, why would anybody sell their house if they have a, th- a house with 3%? Why would anybody buy a house if they had to pay 6 or 7%? Does the so Fed factor the, that in? They do, and the intended impact of higher rates is to slow down the activity in housing because house prices were rising very fast to slow down the activity in markets, stock market values have come down because that slows down people's uh, feeling of affluence and wealth and activity, and then, therefore that helps slow down the inflationary pricing. So this is an intended outcome, and so the areas that are affected most quickly are the areas which are most rate sensitive. Uh, and that on the consumer side, that is mortgages, and on the corporate side, that's leveraged finance where people borrow money, and, and that, that rate structure's doubled, and, and that's basically slowed that business down. But that's an intended outcome. So I think you know the interesting thing about housing is uh, you know about half Amer- there's about 60 million mortgages outstanding in the United States. So that, by definition, there's 130 million households. 70 million households do not have mortgages. They rent. And so the mortgages are all fixed rate or there. And so it affects new house purchases, as you described. But the real question is, what's the impact on rentals? And so rentals, uh, rental prices started going up. And say like New York and other cities, they went up quickly after, after they recovered and went up. Uh, but now you're starting to see them in many cities flatten out a little bit, which is good because that means inflation and rental prices under control. And, you know, in rent and housing is a 40% of a of average household's, you know, spending is on those items. So when they rise fast, that's really different than something they spend a lot less money on you being the ceo of one of the two largest banks in the in the country you get to see how uh feds are spent how how the consumer is spending money on their credit cards uh how do you see the credit card spending uh is it going to be a good christmas or do you think they'll be slowing up well if you look at uh, the fir- first 12 days of december uh our households uh, which are 
uh, 60 million customers, 35 million checking customers, and this is both their credit and debit card spending plus what they you know, take out of the ATMs to spend or write checks for or, or Zelle, which is a big part of the spending nowadays. If you look at that year over year, it's up about 8% over last year for the first 12 days. For the month of November, it was up around 5%. Early in the year, it was up 10 15%, and it's been moving down. So the pace of growth is slowing down, but it's still pretty strong growth. And to give a context, if you went back in sort of 17 or 18 and 19, that growth rate year over year for a month or whatever would be up 5 6% in a, in a 2% growth economy. So the, the But it's slowed down, and that's, again, the intended impact of you know, raising interest rates and, 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 frankly, creating a little more doubt in the economy, people being told there's a recession coming. Most economists have a recession predicted next year. If you add that all together, it slows that activity. You know, that's what the uh, Fed and others are trying to engineer so that we can get inflation under control. But the good news about America is consumer, the consumers are employed, 3.7% unemployment. The new claims for unemployment just uh, just this past Thursday were, again, very low. Uh, and so that means that people are employed and they're making money. And the good news for the American economy is they're spending money and at uh, 8% more than they spent last year. So it ought to be a decent Christmas season for uh, for people out there. Now, the, uh, the uh, Central Bank of Europe took an aggressive stand last week. That caused uh, some turmoil in the markets. How bad a shape is Europe in? Well, they have this, you know, they have this unique issue uh, with the impact of the uh, Russia-Ukraine war, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. The impact on energy prices is more severe there because they're a big importer of energy. Um, and in, especially on the ga- gas side, they just had to import in a way. They, they lost a pipeline. They lost supply. So then they had to import that at a very high price. So that impact has had more. And we basically think Europe, uh, 2023, you know, basically, has zero GDP growth. Uh, there's probably some downside risk in that. It, but it's a, it's a region which generally has only grown at a percent or so in a good year. So it's it's getting knocked around. But if you travel around Europe like I've done for the last few weeks, uh, the people have great resolve to support, um, to, to be able to make the uh, day-to-day sacrifices to make sure the war effort stays funded and make sure the war effort stays secure and the and the uh, sanctions and boycotts and stuff on the Russian oil are there. But but in the end of the day, there's an economic total all that because gas prices for German manufacturers are, are much higher and, and that slows activity down. Company CEOs, they're trying to stay ahead of the curve and, and maintain earnings because, as we all know, Wall Street is not forgiving. If you're off by two cents on your earnings, Wall Street is not forgiving. Do you believe that the CEOs are staying ahead of the curve uh, going into last quarter of 22 versus in, in, in 22, 23? They're staying ahead of the curve, and you can see adjustments being made. In our company, you know, we're watching uh, hiring more carefully than we may have been watching six months ago or six months before that. We always always watched it carefully, but we're really careful, not because we're not going to hire a lot of people. We will hire you know, 15,000, 20,000 people next year at least just to replace teammates who retire and leave for other purposes. Uh, but, you know, but you're not – you're looking – you know, at your overall pattern, say, hey, may, let's be care- more careful here. For a while, we couldn't. It was very hard to hire people. Now it's easier, so therefore you're more careful because you don't want to overhire. You look at your initiatives. We'll spend more on technology initiatives, $3.8 billion next year. We spent about $3.4 billion this year. But you want to make sure they're prioritized and doing it right, um, and, you, and you're careful there. And you look at some of your discretionary travel and things like that. But CEOs across all industries continue to look at that. Most of them, though, are making – 
solid or good money and they have good liquidity and if and they've got you know their credit facilities in great shape our credit quality in our portfolios is very strong is you know still much better than 19 which is a very strong year everybody goes and says it looks like 2019, but you're saying you have to remember 2019 was a very strong year for credit quality and bank, the banking system, which means the underlying bar is in great shape. So they're in great shape. They're borrowing on the lines. They have lots of access to credit. The markets are shut down. That's a little different for a different type of borrower. But for the average middle, mid-sized company in the United States, they have access to their banks so open, dying to get loan business, and I, I think it's in pretty good shape. But they read ahead, see you know, recessions are predicted, so they're just being more careful along all dimensions. Brian Moynihan, uh, me and you live in New York uh, most of the time. And how's Bank of America doing with people coming back to the offices? We developed a set of policies that allow people to have some hybrid flexibility, uh, three days or more in the office, depending on the job. Our branch teammates who do a great job in New York and all over the country that this is broadcast to, uh, you are there every day, and you know, our processing teammates are process stuff. So it really bases on the job. But we're getting, you know, we're getting people back to work. We we did lunch on us for a couple months where we had people come in so they could see, you know, see each other when they're at work and free lunches for everybody, and that got people's spirit back up. So that you know, we're having a, you know team meetings and things like that. So I think the, the value of being back at work and the community aspects that people are now feeling. And so we're, we're, we're up to, you know, on a given day, relatively close to where we were uh, pre-pandemic for the, for the people be adjusting for three days a week or four days a week versus five days a week. Because, so that means you're about you know, 10 percentage points behind on a given day, but that's because people aren't expected to be in every day. Um, but they're coming in and they're, you know, they're circulating the buildings. It feels a lot better now than it was six months ago or six months before that. But we're, where we are now is going to be in place until we see how the policies play out over time. You feel optimistic right now going into the new year? Well, I'm optimistic because if you look at the, you, you look at our economic projections, those aren't optimistic. Those are yeah, pretty straightforward. But if you think about the underlying strength of this country relative to the rest of the world and what we see in its competitiveness, its private sector that just drives you know, great economic activity, our research, our college, our university, you have to be optimistic long, even next year and beyond because it's just it, this is the place to be. Brian uh, Moynihan, thank you uh, for what a great job you've done for uh, uh, Bank America and, uh, and uh, our country. And Listen, I'm a stockholder, and you've done a great job for the uh, stock price, and hopefully it goes back to where we were. And uh, God bless you, and Merry Christmas, and God bless America. Uh, thank you, John. Happy holidays to everyone, and uh, thank you for being a strong supporter. Thank you so much. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart... Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. With us today is Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn of uh, Tennessee, and, uh, and uh, she is one smart lady. And uh, Senator, uh, tell us, uh, uh, Elon Musk, what's going on with social media and Twitter? Uh, uh, are we going to get the truth in the American media now? I think Elon Musk is determined to put the truth unvarnished, uncensored out there. I thought it was significant that he let James Baker go as the legal counsel for Twitter because he found out that Baker was trying to nuance and trying to go through and pull out certain emails and still hide information from the American people. 
you're also on the Armed Services Committee, and uh, you've been very uh, concerned about the military competitiveness uh, with China. Uh, we tested out some hypersonic missiles in the last week or so. Yeah, you know, we are very concerned about great power competition and competitiveness. And that's one of the reasons I worked really hard and was successful in getting this vaccine mandate off of our troops, because we need to be focusing on readiness. We need to be focusing on redeployment training. Those are really good things and good places for us to spend our time. And uh, as we look at the Defense Authorization Act, it's been frustrating that this year, uh, Chuck Schumer pushed it to the very end of the calendar. Hopefully, we're going to vote on that in the next day or two and push it across the finish line and get it to the president's desk. It includes a 4.6% pay raise for our members of the military. It also includes a good bit of money for Space Force, for hypersonics, for 21st century warfare, which appropriately should be our focus at this time. If you wake up in a nightmare at 3 o'clock in the morning, what are you worried about most uh, for our country? Oh, as I wake up every day, I worry about what is happening with our national security. This open border that so affects our sovereignty, the thousands that are coming across it every day. I worry about the impact on our nation's sovereignty from our nation's debt. And I worry about the new axis of evil, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and how they're going to, how they have banded together to try to be the superpower and to take us down. Understood. What else would you like to tell the American people? You know, it's, uh, what, seven days till Christmas, and, uh, uh, and then we've got 14 days till the new year. Uh, where are we going? Uh, you're going to see us continue to fight for those conservative wins as we go into the new year. And we hope to finish up and get home for Christmas. I would say to everyone, Merry Christmas. And let's pray for a new year that will bring us some peace and prosperity and that we will focus on doing right by future generations and getting this government spending under control. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, uh, thank you, and Merry Christmas to you, too. And to and, you, too. Uh, uh, God bless you, and God bless America. And uh, thank you for uh, the hard work to make sure our country is balanced and uses common sense in, in all we do, and we'll catch up with you in the new year. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good Christmas, John. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. With us today is Mario Economo, our uh, European correspondent. With uh, worked for banks in in Zurich, in New York, in uh, um, where else, uh, Mario? Yes. Good morning, Cats Roundtable in London. Give us an update. What's going on in Europe? I understand Ukraine is uh, is getting bombarded real bad. They're out of power. Uh, what else do you hear? Yes, that's true. And in fact, um, uh, Mr. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, uh, just came out and he's uh, going to be putting out an article in a uh, uh, paper, I believe The Spectator, wherein he's actually calling for a uh, negotiation and dialogue to end the war in the Ukraine. 
pretty much everybody now is realizing that this can drag on for many years to come unless both sides sit down at the table with both uh, the European Union, the U.S., and China present in order to discuss a peaceful end to the hostilities. President Macron of France uh, recently, around 10 days ago, had come out and said that he uh, accepted that Russia had security guarantee concerns and that those needed to be addressed. Uh, he was quickly rebuffed by the German chancellor who said that there was no way uh, the European Union would sit down and discuss with Russia and address its uh, Euro uh, European and Russian security concerns. Um, However, the reality is, unless the Europeans sit down with the Ukrainians and the Russians uh, and reach an agreement, this will not end and it will continue. The idea that Russia is running out of ammunition, Russia's uh, uh, President Putin does not enjoy support in Russia for the war, is absolutely false. They have just passed in the European Union in a ninth uh, package of sanctions. These two will fail, uh, but the Europeans have to appear to be doing something to stop the Russian economy dead in its tracks. Unfortunately, everything they're doing and have done thus far has not worked. So I doubt that this latest round of sanctions will actually have any impact whatsoever. Understood. There's some stuff going on in, uh, in Belgium that uh, some uh, uh, ministers have been arrested on bribery charges. Can you fill in the American people on that? Yes, this has to do with something that's being referred to now as Qatar Gate. And specifically, uh, the European Parliament has 14 uh, vice presidents. One of them uh, was uh, arrested and taken into custody, uh, along with her partner, as well as along with a couple of other Italians who uh, ran non-governmental uh, agencies, organizations, NGOs. And they have specifically uh, been uh, accused by the Belgian uh, investigating judge that they were involved in corruption, that they had accepted certain bribes in order to promote the Qatari uh, agenda of human rights reforms and employee labor relations improvements. This uh, is all because of the World Cup that is happening in Qatar, and specifically the fact that roughly 6,500 migrant workers died in the process of building these stadiums, Qatar tried to change the image of the country itself. And the allegations are that these people were essentially paid to promote and create a positive picture of Qatar. The courts will decide ultimately whether or not they did accept these bribes. Uh, there were bags full of cash that were found in people's homes. I understand Europe was, uh, people were taking bribes like no tomorrow. That's absolutely false. I mean, there always will be people in different countries and in different organizations that will be uh, uh, susceptible or open to graft. But the reality is in Europe, this was never a real problem, especially not in, in Brussels. And uh, the Europeans have moved quickly to address this because if they don't and they fail to address it and they fail to address it in a concrete and substantial way, it's pretty much the end of the European Union because the citizens themselves will no longer have faith in the institutions that represent them in Brussels and in Strasbourg. So the Europeans did move uh, quickly, they did move decisively, and I suspect that these people, as well as others who are going to come up in the ongoing investigation, will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and there will be uh, very little leniency shown to them with respect to the sentencing.
Mario Kunamu, thank you for bringing all Americans up to date, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. And seven days till Christmas, go out shopping. Thank you, yes, and everybody, Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mark Shaw. He has a lot of reading to do. 30,000 pages was released by the CIA on the JFK assassination. Mark Shaw, how long is it going to take you to read 30,000 pages? I wish I was a speed reader, John. Uh, 13,000 documents. I did go through them. I used a search engine and looked for uh, key words and things like that. So I feel like I'm up to date as as to what was on there. Um, I do want to tell you that I have some concern about uh, uh, Tucker Carlson and what he said last night on Fox about the assassination documents. Uh, I don't don't care if he's a Republican or a Democrat or is on Fox or or MSNBC or whatever. What he said is really not uh, backed up by the facts. He quotes some source with direct knowledge of classified documents who's unnamed who tells him the CIA was involved in JFK's assassination. And then he connects that to a psychiatrist, of all people, who he says worked for the CIA, was an expert in mind control, visited Ruby in his jail, which has never been verified, and found Ruby to be crazy. For whatever reason, then, uh, Mr. Carlson goes ahead and decides that Ruby actually was recruited by the CIA, and there's no proof of that whatsoever. And then he leads that into the fact that the CIA was involved in the assassination that's not been proven before. And I will tell you what, John, I've looked at all those pages in the in the uh, documents it's not mentioned once in there and i think the real story here is that nothing is mentioned in the documents about the warren commission and the warren commission corruption that i've proven as we talked about uh based on a, an eyewitness account of one uh, warren commission member senator john sherman cooper uh that took place uh, when they were they were deliberating and investigating and everything and came up with the oswald alone theory and so none of that is in there, and that was really disappointing to me because uh, I think that's the big story here, that, that none of that is in there. There's nothing in there about Cooper. There's none of the documents in there that I presented in my new book, Fighting for Justice, where Cooper talks about the fact that he's not even in, being invited to the hearings, uh, that he doesn't agree with the conclusion, Oswald alone, that they know about Jack Ruby's connection to organized crime and they don't want to do anything about it and all of that. And so I think uh, Mr. Carlson kind of missed the point here. Uh, he's got some uh, he's got an agenda and I understand that. But it was disappointing because I would like to have seen him really get into the guts of what the situation here. You know, John, they didn't give us all the documents. Almost 4,000 documents weren't uh, released. Perhaps the Warren Commission corruption materials in there, I don't know. But um, I thought it was very disappointing. And maybe it's a, a first step of them giving us uh, documents. But I just wonder what they're still hiding from us, John. On Friday afternoon, I was listening to Greg Kelly on WABC. And Greg uh, is now, he thought Oswald was the lone gunman. But now he says he feels that there's other people involved. And uh, we still, uh, me and you still have a discussion to have on when President uh, Trump said, I'm not releasing those documents yet because one of the people is still alive. So there's a lot of mysteries that's still out there. I just wonder who that can be, John. I mean, it's 60, almost 60 years since then. The person has passed away since, so 
Oh, he has. Okay. I agree with your WABC commentator. Uh, this whole thing about Oswald alone has never made any sense at all. Dorothy Kilgallen knew that that wasn't the case. Dorothy Kilgallen was murdered because she knew too much. That's right. And, and yet Ruby is not even uh, mentioned uh, four times in 13,000 documents in that, yes. uh, that batch we got yesterday. That's really disappointing. Keep reading those 30,000 documents and we'll talk <laughs> again uh, next week. Thank you All so right, much. All right, John. Th thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Seven days till Christmas. Do some shopping. <laughs> I shall. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We have the greatest economist in the world, the Fox number one show on Fox and Business. And Solar System. There you go. I understand. I saw uh, the ratings on Fox Business. Larry Kudlow is number one on yep. Fox Business uh, in the business sector, beating out CNBC by a mile. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. Not at all. He's number one on Saturday mornings on WABC. That's it. Uh, you're very kind. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. And it's all a great blessing. It's all great. Tell us, uh, what, what, what's going on? I mean, uh, you saw that the uh, Fed blinked a little bit, but uh, the, the European uh, central banks didn't blink. Yes, well, um, last three days, stocks are down about 1,200 points. Um, the Fed actually, Jay Powell's rhetoric was probably tougher than people think, um, harsher than people expected. You're right about Europe. Uh, Christine Lagarde of the ECB, uh, they're tightening. Britain is tightening. The other thing, John, it's very important that I keep talking about on our show is um, uh, spending, fiscal policy, federal spending. This omnibus bill is a terrible idea. And it'll wind up spending $150 billion to $200 billion above the baseline. And let me tell you, you know, markets react badly to this because federal spending in many ways is the principal cause of the inflation we've suffered through. And so what you're left with is because Congress won't do its job, then the Federal Reserve has to do it for them. And when they do that, they'll hammer us into a recession. And I think this uh, syndrome could be stopped. I mean, Rand Paul put it very well, Senator Rand Paul, on our show a couple nights ago. He said the GOP has given up the power of the purse and they have emasculated themselves because for some reason, Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans are going along with the Democrats on this terrible omnibus spending bill. And that stops the House Republicans from making necessary spending cuts and perhaps deregulation and tax cuts as well. They should be helping the House take power. We should have a short-term CR, congressional resolution, uh, for the budget, maybe get them into January when the Republicans take over, uh, Kevin uh, uh, and so forth. So this is a big problem, too much spending. And the Republicans are complicit in this in the Senate. And I do not understand why they want to betray uh, the House. I just don't get it. David, uh, Governor Patterson, you had something to say? Uh, so, Larry, if we don't know why these Republican senators are taking the position they are, to this point, it sounds like they're actually sort of at the same time saying that they're not doing it, that they're against spending. I see that as really dangerous for the cohesiveness of, I mean, it's not my party, but if it was done by Democrats, I'd say the same thing. I think that's a dangerous way to think and a dangerous way to operate going into a whole new 
uh, c- congressional session? Well, yeah, look, it's it's unsuccessful. I mean, the Senate Republicans are betraying the House Republicans. That's what they're doing. And this is very bad politics, and it's very bad economics. So then they want to go out and fundraise and say, well, you know, give us your money. We're the party that holds back the budget. We're the party that holds back inflation. Well, where's the evidence of that? Where's the evidence of that? No, no wonder these Democratic incumbents keep winning. I mean, the GOP has got to turn over a new leaf. And I think Kevin McCarthy and Scalise and them want to turn over a new leaf, okay? I've worked with them for years. I like their commitment to America. But the Senate is choking them off. I mean, I had Senator Marsha Blackburn on uh, on the show tonight. She said, give them a chance. Give the House a chance. Give them a shot at this and see what they can do. And that's what's got me so up in arms. They're not. They're preventing them. And that's why the omnibus bill, I will say this, save America, kill the bill. Just save America and kill the bill. Otherwise, to John Katz's point, the Fed just keeps jacking up rates, knocking down the money supply, and will throw us all into a deep recession. Nobody wants that, and it isn't even necessary. It's not necessary in economic terms if you had better fiscal policy. With us today is our in-house uh, genius, Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, an expert in medicine, science, and also a historian. Dr. Mihalos, what do you have to report to uh, the WABC audience today? Well, good morning, John, and good morning to our listeners. Well, we want to keep our audience healthy, so we scour the literature and uh, around the world and what's happening in science. And actually, a lot of the great science in anti-aging and living longer is happening right here in the New York area. And what we're learning is that we all have different ages, as we've talked about, our chronological age, how many times we've gone around the sun, our biological age is how young our body is and how fast we are aging. And our mental age is how young we are. But our biological age is very important because it turns out that if we can slow down our aging, then we don't get as many disease. As we saw with COVID, most of the people who had problems and who expired with COVID were over 65. So something about aging makes us weaker, more susceptible to cancer, heart disease, and other viral illnesses. So if we can figure out ways to slow down the aging process, and now with all these different uh, blood tests that we have for markers and swabs in the mouth where we can figure out people's biological age, we can almost biohack our bodies, just like uh, getting a new car, we have to maintain it. And it turns out that our genetic destiny is only about 20%, and how we live our lives is 80%. It's just like when we buy a brand spanking new car, Uh, If we don't maintain it and uh, change the oils and the fluids and treat it properly, it won't last as long. So what we're learning is that we have waste products in our body, and uh, living causes waste products, and those are called senescent cells. And we're finding out that if we can facilitate the removal of these senescent cells or dying cells that occur in our body, because some of them get recycled and we use their protein-building blocks again, So that's what's thought to be involved in Alzheimer's disease, where these proteins are waste products are misfolded. And basically, they're the lining around all the nerve endings. And think of it as the plastic insulation around the wire. And when it's not working properly and you have all these wires close together, the signals don't 
work properly. And that's why you have a memory loss and cognitive decline. So we now know that we'll start off with the basics. For example, exercise has been shown to improve cognitive, has cognitive benefits and memory uh, benefits. We now know that when we intermittent fast, uh, we reduce our fat mass, we reduce inflammation in the body, we re- reduce the incidence of type 2 diabetes, we reduce fatty liver disease, and we improve endurance. But one of the big things with that fast is that during the fasting period that we notice that cells start going after a pr- in a process called autophagy, from the Greek word, which means basically auto-eating or auto-cleanup, and they go around and they start cleaning up some of these bad cells, and uh, it seems to help uh, improve and may have a role in reducing uh, uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, there's a, one of the doctors, Dr. Anne Marie Cuervo. She's a leader, and she's studying autophagy, and it's basically you know the disposition and the recycling of these waste product and dying cells the same thing, uh, the eye is very similar to the brain in macular degeneration in the center of the vision. People have a buildup of waste products and they damage the central vision. So basically, uh, you know, defective autophagy or defective uh, cleanup of cells plays a role now they think in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. So if we can do something to improve the improper cleanup of these waste products of cells, we may be able to slow down Parkinson's and things like uh, Alzheimer's disease. And if we can slow the aging down a little bit every year, we'll get less diseases, we'll live longer, and we'll stay healthier. And there are many exciting things happening in the world of aging. And keep listening to WABC to hear more about what's happening. Seven days till Christmas, Dr. Mihalos, and uh, let's go shopping soon. Absolutely. All I want for Christmas is health, wealth, and the time to enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.